Good morning. It's good to see everybody this morning. Let me take a moment and welcome you to worship this morning. Uh, as you make your way in, make sure you have a bulletin so that you can follow along in the service. We will be singing both from the hymnals and in the bulletin, so you'll be able to use both of those. Also, inside the hymnal, on the inside cover is the Lord's Prayer. So when we pray together, uh, you'll have an opportunity to open that and follow that if you're not familiar with that prayer. Uh, let me begin this morning. If you are visiting with us, we do have uh, cards that are there in the pews. Uh, if you're willing and wanting to, please fill one of those out. Let us have a record of your visit. And on the back of it is an actual prayer request. And so even if you're just visiting with us, you may have a special prayer request. And we have a faithful prayer team. Many of you, if you don't know, uh, we have a prayer team that doesn't just meet here on Sunday mornings, but they also share prayer requests throughout the entire week. If you're not on that list then you miss a lot of those because we have certain ones that are updated constantly as people are sharing those prayer requests. And so we, we are very faithful in praying for you. And so if you do have a prayer request, even as a visitor, a guest, if you want us to pray for something, please let us know. And also, if there's something you want to speak to me about, you also have the right on that prayer card to just simply say, hey, pastor, I would love for you to give me a call and love to have a moment to speak with you. And then I'll, I'll call you and give me the information and I'll get together with you as well. But we're glad you're here, glad you chose to worship with us. We have many families. Uh, you may be one of those visiting as people are vacationing and traveling, and we're glad that you're here, and uh, we want you to worship with us as we go forward. Uh, there are a few announcements I wanna clarify. One of those is that as of tomorrow, there are no ministries here during the week um, at all, so please be patient with us. We are having the floors done. They've contacted us. Uh, if all goes well, they will have all the floors redone and, and finished uh, through this time that we're taking off. So this Sunday, today, we still have Sunday school in our programs, but next Sunday and the Sunday after that, we only have worship. That's it. We're not using the floors. We're not using the basements. Now, if they get the floors done early and everything is dried and hardened and we can set back up, uh, we'll, we hope that will be uh, sooner than later. We'll let you know, and if you need to use the building for meetings or whatever, Christy will post that and let you know. But please just know our office will be open, um, but I say this gently. Um, if they're doing the hallways and the bathrooms while you're here, you're welcome to come in the front doors and stay on the carpet, or you're welcome to come in the basement and use those. But folks, our point is we're just closing down for a few weeks so that we can get all the tile floors done. Uh, that need to be done. So please be patient with us. We will be in the office, um, and so you're welcome to at least call us or come by for a few moments if you need something, and we'll help you. Uh, but be patient with us. During this time, we're also redoing all of the ministries to get them set up for the fall. If you've been praying about helping us, uh, we're in the process of putting all the teachers in the Sunday school rooms, getting people back in their classrooms. We do have some changes for some of the teachers. Uh, we do know that... Uh, we are gonna need some help in teaching in the preschool class. Uh, Kim Stroka is going to move up and help with our older aged kids. And so we, we have that class covered. That's what she wanted to do. And so now the problem is, parents, uh, if you have someone between the ages of three and five, we're praying for someone to lead those kids and to love those kids. So whether you just wanna be an assistant, you just wanna help in there, we'll continue to search for a, a teacher. Uh, in the past, we've moved up kindergarten into the other class, uh, but the session will be meeting today, and we'll talk about some of that because our goal has always been to keep the ages as close together as possible so they can learn better. It gets harder and harder if you have kids who can't read along with kids who can read. It makes the, the lessons harder, uh, but be in, be in prayer uh, where it is. We've had wonderful growth with some of our families. We have some of our families that have been gone this summer returning home, and so we just want to be able to provide for all of our family's needs uh, while they're here in Sunday school. So if you've been praying about that, please let me know because we're really going to need some help to fill in and commit so that when our families are here, we can minister to them as well. Uh, other than that, I'll let you see a lot of our, our activities. They're up and coming after Labor Day. Men's Bible study starts. The ladies' Bible study is going to continue on Tuesday night as a Zoom for now. Uh, they're going to try to continue that ministry, and they're also praying uh, for some women to lead an in-person Bible study for the women. If you're interested in that, uh, please contact Renee Wilson, or if you can't get up with them, contact us in the office, and we'll direct you in the right way. But 
there has been some discussion about having a Bible study for women as well, or the wives as well, on Wednesday night. And so what we're looking at doing is men will still be here and use this half of the building, but we have all kinds of rooms downstairs that women, if you are interested in an in-person Bible study, uh, while the building is here and why we're here and why it's open and safe, uh, we would love to open that up so that if your husband's in Bible study and you want to come along with them and do it on the same night, you're able to do that. So please be in prayer for our women as they're looking to continue. We're always interested in increasing Bible study. It's, it's what the church is all about. And so why come to church if we're going to offer everything but Bible study? And so we're excited that we're praying about those things. And so anyway, you follow those up. They're there. It's going to be a few weeks off. I know many of you are still finishing up travel plans, getting ready for the school year to begin. Uh, we're excited for you. We're glad when you're back. Uh, we pray for you when you're gone. But uh, please pray about how you can plug in this fall so that we can continue our ministries. The session will meet this afternoon. We do have some families coming to join. And I keep telling you that we're going to introduce a lot of these people to you. And uh, we just haven't got to that yet. So Christy's helping me organize the list of all the new members. So if you're a new member and we haven't had you stand up and be welcomed, that's coming in the future. We all stand up, reiterate our vows, and let you see the new families that have come to join so that you can uh, be a part of welcoming them as well. So lots going on as we bring it together. Uh, but we'll use these next two weeks to hopefully be prepared for the fall. But let me read to you as we continue and prepare uh, for worship from Ian Bounds. I've been using several from his different chapters on his work on prayer as I've been reading through. This one comes when he says, Faith is the initial quality in the heart of any person who desires to talk to the unseen. You must, out of sheer helplessness, stretch forth hands of faith. You must believe where you cannot prove. This morning, Jesus teaches us through Mark's writing, we too must make a decision when we see the things God does. Faith doesn't just happen where we are. So let's pray this morning and we'll get started. Heavenly Father, thank you for worship. Thank you for our family, our friends as we gather. Lord, we pray for those who are not here. But Lord, those of, those of us who are here, we're here to lift you up, to praise your name, to exalt you for all that you've done in our lives here this morning. Just bless us, help our minds to focus on you, help us to realize the importance of truly being committed to you. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Stand with me if you're able as I call us to worship from Psalm 92. I'll read the light print if you'll join me in the bold print. It is good to praise the Lord and to make music to his name, to proclaim his love in the morning and his faithfulness at night. Let's bless the Lord. As we continue in your bulletin, you'll see our confession of faith and a time of prayer together this morning. And so I'll read the light print if you'll join together with me as we confess our faith as we've been working through the larger catechism, uh, as we slowly work through that. It's a wonderful opportunity to teach your children, follow up at home, and follow up the scripture verses. If you don't have those, please know that I don't list all the verses that go with these. Uh, if you're interested in having a copy of that, or you can actually download it, you just look at the larger catechism with scripture proofs, they call it, and you will see all of these things that come from all the different scriptures that are pulled out. And that's where the catechism comes from. It actually comes right from scripture and that's how they summarize it. So when you're memorizing these questions and answers, you're actually learning Scripture. So I'll read the question if you'll join me together in the answer. Question 122 says, What is the essence of the six commandments that cover our obligations to fellow human beings? The essence of these six commandments is to love your neighbor as yourself and to do to others as you would do unto yourself. What is the fifth commandment? The fifth commandment is, honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Question 124 says, to whom does the father and mother refer in the fifth commandment? Father and mother refer not just to our parents, but to everyone who is older or more talented than we are and specifically to those whom God has ordained to be over us 
in positions of authority, whether in our family, the church, or civil government. Let's take a moment as we continue to just pray for one another. You'll see the list that is there in your bulletin on the back side. We have several families that have asked for prayer. And so let me this morning lead us in prayer for our family. And then if you would join me in the Lord's Prayer together as we continue worshiping. Lord, I do pray this morning uh, specifically for our family, uh, those of us who are here with hurts and concerns and burdens. Lord, that as we minister to one another, uh, Lord, that we would see your son, Jesus Christ, shine through us, that what we're actually demonstrating is your love, the love that you have given to us. As you've commanded us in scripture, that as you laid down your life for us, Lord, we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. And so, Lord, we pray for conviction. Uh, we pray for a, a heart change. We pray for an attitude adjustment so that when we see those that are hurting or those that are in need, that, Lord, we're more willing and more ready to be your servants and to, to reach out and to minister and to be the one who is able to meet their needs and to bring them a surety. Lord, we continue to pray for the Alexander family, just for uh, his healing. Uh, Lord, for the family as they support and minister to him as they continue moving forward in prayer, Lord. Just answer their concerns and hurts. Be with every physician involved. Uh, Lord, just... Bring the reality of how you are the great physician to their family. Give us opportunity to share salvation to not only those in his room that visit, but those around. Lord, we pray for Ken and Marilyn Dean still, just for relief of the pain, all the therapies that they'll be going through. Lord, just for the process of healing and strength. We pray for Dan, his daughter Madison, and their family as both of them have been through surgeries and illnesses, Lord, to help them in recovery and strength. Lord, we continue to pray for Paul and for his surgeries that he's had on both his wrist and his back and for recovery and strength. We pray for Lisa as she continues to be his nurse and to care for him and to love him. And We pray for Bill, Lord, just in... He prays for surgery as we pray and lift him up for the right decisions, Lord, for the many years that he has given in serving you and helping people. Lord, put it on our hearts to help him, to be a servant to him and to help him where he's in need and to be there for Stephanie and their family as they make these decisions uh, to try for the best life here on earth. We pray for Phil and Karina, Lord, as they continue to travel and discerning where it is the Lord would have them serve and what it is he would have them do. That, Lord, we're all reminded that each and every one of us have our own calling and that you have a special place wherever that is and whatever it is that we can glorify you. Help them determine that. We still continue to pray for the little fields, for Dick and his strength and his ability to get around, for Donna and her ability to continue to minister and to be with him and to care for him and her strength as well. Lord, and just that we're able to visit and to share uh, in, in that strength and the bond in the body of Christ. We pray for Beth Bauer's mother, Sylvia. Lord, again, continuing to pray for strength and healing uh, from the heart issues that she's faced. Lord, we also pray for those traveling. Lord, for those families that are out this morning, those that will be out in the weeks to come. Lord, we pray for safety. Lord, that you would just provide the rest that they need, that they would be recuperated, but yet at the same time, that you would bring them back safely to us. Lord, all these we lay down at the throne of grace, where we boldly come, knowing that you have torn the veil in two, you've opened up the holy of holies, and through your son, Jesus Christ, we, your children, are always able to come and to pray to you as you taught us, saying, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. As we continue in worship, you'll see in your bulletin, we're gonna take a song and split it together as it fits right in with our prayer of confession and assurance of pardon, and so we invite you to stand with us as we sing the first part of God, be merciful to me, 
And then we'll confess our sins assurance and finish it up as we prepare for the sermon. So stand with us as we sing, God be merciful to me. pray with me. Oh Lord, we have been stubborn and love unfaithfulness. We have chosen at times to love and serve other gods before you. We have not worshipped you in spirit and truth. We have mocked your glory in heaven. We have used your name in vain. We have desecrated your Sabbath by not trusting you to give us rest. We have not honored our fathers and mothers. We have hated our neighbors and murdered them in our hearts. We have made adulterers of ourselves in the lust of our eyes or in the deeds of our flesh. We have stolen honor and wealth that are not ours. We have lied and falsely accused others with gossip. We have coveted blessings that you have given to others. O Lord, we confess these sins to you. Now, O Lord, have mercy upon us for our unfaithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen. We find the assurance of pardon all through scriptures. And again, we're reminded in Romans, I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor the things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else, in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. He truly is merciful as we continue. Shots, shots, 
Keep your bulletin in hand. We'll be using it during the Lord's Supper as we share this morning. If you're visiting with us and you've made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ, we'll invite you to participate with us in the Lord's Supper. If you're here and you've never made that profession of faith, we would encourage you to not take, and we'll explain as we go. But for the rest, as we prepare our hearts, uh, this morning we've been studying Mark And this morning, I take you on a quick passage that's actually a lengthier section, but a very short section in the sense of teaching, and it has three parts to it. I would try to bring them all together for us, if I can, and I'll do it in a way that I hope makes sense of the passage rather than just in the sentence order in which it's written. Mark has given us a a glimpse, a quick glimpse of the fast-paced work of Jesus Christ always having us to focus on the true issue at the moment at hand. And this morning, I speak to you about a kingdom that is divided falls. And I want you to think up front, I'm not speaking about the kingdoms of the world and the kingdoms of our countries or the empires. I'm speaking about you. I'm speaking about your kingdom, your life. I'm speaking about what Jesus is confronting his own people and the religious leaders about, that any kingdom that is divided against itself or works against itself or isn't assured of itself or is entrapped by others close to them, all of these issues come into play when you realize that you yourself are a child of the king. You're going to reign with him one day. Let's just call it your kingdom, and if it's divided against itself, it will not stand. There's nothing more frustrating than to try to live the Christian life not being committed to Jesus Christ. There's nothing harder and and more discouraging than trying to follow the ways of Scripture and not having the Holy Spirit to help guide you and direct you. If you don't understand what I'm saying to you up front, we're just simply saying this whole passage this morning deals directly with whether or not you're the one that's trying to lay claim on Jesus or whether you've acknowledged Jesus' claim on you. He says a big difference in how you live your life. Are you in control of it and just asking Jesus to help? Or is Jesus in control of it and giving you the help you need? It all comes, Mark chapter 3, titling it in several ways, a wrestle of who's in control. I'll take you through that this morning, but look at Mark chapter 3, verse 20, right after he has chosen the 12 disciples, right after he has healed and made the miracle decisions, cast out the demons, healed with their hands, showing the miracles of proof of who he is. Verse 20 says, he came at home, which is probably the same home that we've been talking about there in the city. The home and crowd gathered again to such an extent they could not even eat a meal. And when his own people, you can actually underline that, that's a special phrase, a very peculiar phrase, hard to interpret. Many have related that to later in the passage. Think of it as we're reading it as his family, those closest to him. And so when his family, if we could say that, heard about this, they came out to take custody of him, for they were saying he has lost his senses. The scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, well, he's possessed by Beelzebul. He casts out demons by the ruler of demons. And so he called them to himself and began speaking to them in parables. He said, how can Satan cast out Satan? And if a kingdom is divided against itself, the kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but he is finished. The actual Greek there says he has an end that is coming. 
But no one can enter the strong man's house and plunder his property unless he first ties up the strong man, and then he will plunder his house. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the sons and the daughters of men, and whatever blasphemies they commit. But whoever blasphemies against the Holy Spirit has ne has never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. That is, in Greek, a sin that lasts the ages because they were saying he had an unclean spirit. And then his mother and his brothers, which relates back up to the passage of verse 20, those close to him, came, and while standing outside, they sent word to him, calling for him, and a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Behold, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. And answering them, he said, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking around those who were sitting around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, this is my brother and sister and mother. May God bless the reading of his word as I take you on a journey from the outside in. I'm going to pull the passage together as Mark has sandwiched it, and I hope I can take you on a journey to understand just who is in control. Do you recognize the question this morning, who is in control of your life? If I were to stop for just a moment and say, what is in control of your life? What is it that occupies you, controls you, has your focus, takes your time, takes your energy? Once before, the writers of the gospel said, if you were to, I'm summarizing, if you were to look at a man's a wallet and determine where his money went, that would tell you what controls his life. We live in a world where that is so true because we put our money where our heart is. And yet so many times we say we're doing the things we wish we didn't have to do. So what changes? Who's really in control of what's going on? It starts on the outside and works it in. What I mean by that is if you look at verse 20 and 21, it meshes with verse 31 and following when we're talking about those who are actually trying to recognize who's taking control. Keep that in mind. What happens is when his family is coming together, we get these special words, and I'll share them with you, that when we look at what's happening here, there are those who recognize that there are always those that are trying to take control of Jesus or our lives. There's always someone who wants to tell us just how it is we should be living, just how, what direction we should be going, what it is we need to change. And it's no different with Jesus. His entire ministry, there are those that are trying to take control of what it is. He's the Messiah. He's the answer to the high priest's sacrificial system. He's an answer to the law, the tutor that led us to Jesus Christ. He is the one who will save you from your sins, yet we want to tell him how to do that. We want to take control of just how he's going to run things. It's no different with his own family. That's the word that those people close to him that's recognizing it, that they too are here trying to take control of Jesus. They claim, listen to what he say, that he is out of his mind. It is a phrase that is actually in the Greek for the word estemi that comes from he is beside himself. Have you ever been with someone who's beside themselves? It's like, man, this guy's confused. I don't think he knows what he's doing. I mean, he, he's in disarray. I mean, he doesn't really know what to do. And his, his own family is now showing up, those closest to him, and are saying, look, would you please get control of him? He's out of his mind. He's a fanatic. It's sad to say this, but as so many people have said before, we live in a world that's called the wide world of sports. Have you ever found that world? It exists, not in an actual realm or a physical place, but in the minds and hearts of so many people. And in this wide world of sports, we become so committed to certain individuals and certain teams and certain outcomes that we would actually call ourselves fans. Those committed to those in the sport realm that they want to follow and they want to be like. We call them with an excited attitude, fans. How many of you are a fan? But isn't it amazing if you have the same excitement for Jesus Christ? 
If you claim to be a follower of Jesus and his kingdom, that you want to be in his army and on his team, and you want to stand up for him to have the victory, you're not considered a fan. You're considered what? A fanatic. Someone who's beside themselves and have lost their minds. Isn't it amazing the world that we live in? Mark looks right at those who are closest to him and says, look what it is. You're actually taking control of things. You're actually trying to say, I'm the one that needs help when the Messiah has come to the world because who needs help? And yet we've missed the whole story. We've missed the whole healings. We've missed the old exorcisms that have taken place. The kingdom that is of this world that Satan is a part of, the story comes together and it shows us even at the end that all of a sudden we have this reminder in Jesus that even those of us who are closest to him are the ones that many times oppose him. Have you ever said to yourself, what in the world are those elders doing? Why would anybody want to do that? Who in their right mind would make decisions like that? I remember the statement I've shared with you before. The last statement I heard for a decade from my father. I can't believe you would exchange money for the Bible. Made no sense. If I was to use biblical statements to go back and reflect on his statement, he was probably standing there looking at his son and thinking, you're not a fan of this Jesus stuff, you're a fanatic. And it's changed your life, and it's taking you away, and it's changing you into something I don't want to be a part of. Is that how you've been treated? Is that how people look at you because of your enthusiasm for Christ? And if they don't, I have another question for you. Why not? Why not? Is it because we've hidden such an enthusiasm because we're afraid people will laugh at us? Is it because we've hidden such a commitment because we're afraid people will disown us? We're afraid that our children will go another direction. Our parents won't want to be part of us. Our church may stand up. We may be asked to do things we don't want. So my question becomes the same thing Mark would say, just who's lost their mind? How can you claim to be a child of God and yet take so much control away from him and live the way you want? Oh, I know in my own life I wrestle because the story jumps down to the last part of the chapter. It goes from verse 20 and 21 down to the last verses where his family is there gathering together. It's the same ones. Listen to the story when he says his mothers and brothers all come together. There's a mix of words there. I hope you understand that. Some of those translations you have probably have the word brothers and sisters and sisters and brothers, and that's because the Greek word there is adelphoi, which is the plural word that means men and women. It's not the word for aner, men, or gune, women. It includes men and women. And so the second part actually answers the question when Jesus says, these are my mothers, brothers, and then he adds what? And sisters, because that's the question that was asked him. Who is your family? And as he responds to this, it's amazing. Because now all of a sudden we realize that his family is the one they're gathering together to come and get him. The word that is used in verse 31 and 32, Zetusin, is the word that we gather for the one that is, if you wish, calling out to him or coming to gather him together. Do you realize it is the word that is only used 10 times in the gospel? And every time it is used, it is the word that is get to gather and control Jesus. When they're looking for Jesus, that's the word, if you wish, that's Husin, or koluntos, the word for calling out to from kaleo, those are the two words that are always used when those people are looking and calling for Jesus, because what are they going to do to him? They're going to capture him, control him, and imprison him. And his own family are calling out and looking for Jesus. It's almost as if my younger children are upstairs in their rooms fighting, which they've never done. And I look to one of the older sisters and say, would you go get your sisters? They're out of their mind. 
what I'm really saying is, would you go get them so that we can bring things under control? And yet that's what Mark says, those of us closest to Jesus do to him. I'm so frustrated with you, Jesus, and why you let that happen. I can't believe you would allow that to happen in my life. I can't believe you would allow this to take place in my family. Why would you let our church go through circumstances like that? As if who's in control? All of a sudden we realize, we're reminded once again that this special union that we have, Jesus answers, do you know who my true mothers, brothers, and sisters are? They're the ones that are doing the will of my Father. Man, if that wasn't a slap to the bloodline. That old statement that blood runs thicker than water, do you find that in the Scripture? Or do we find the statement, we're not saved by the blood of our family, but by the blood of who? Jesus Christ. And yes, I would have to admit it and say that it is true, and though it hurts, many times those of us who are united to the blood of Christ are excluded from the blood of our families. The sad part, don't you be one of them. Don't you have so much control over Jesus that when people don't act the way you want them to or they don't turn out the way you thought they should or things don't happen just the way you think they should, that you lose your mind? Let Jesus have control. He's showing it. He's demonstrating it. I love the phrase here when he answers the question, my brothers, my, my mother, my brother, and my sisters. Have you noticed one thing's lacking there? Did anybody catch that? He didn't say, and these are my what? Fathers? Isn't that an amazing catch? Hope you just didn't glimpse right over that and read right on through the story that the only people that matter to Jesus were the, the moms and the children's. But the truth of it is, they can't replace his fatherhood. There is no one else that could take the place of the father. There is no one that Jesus would ever be able to say, you could do that. The absence of it there is almost an emphatic exclamation that though I may lose my mother, and I may lose my children, I may lose my brothers and sisters, and I find myself uniquely united into a new family, it's called my church, yet no one ever takes the place of what? His father. Let me ask you something carefully, and I'm not talking about your earthly father because it happens. Has anyone taken the place of your heavenly father? Is there someone in your life that has stepped in, that has become more important, that has more influence, and that helps direct your life more than him? You see, all of a sudden, we realize Mark is getting at it right away. He's giving us to a point that simply says this. He's gathered together around the inner circle. Those that are by him, they can't even eat a meal. And those are on the outside, and there's those that are on the inside. And the ones on the outside want to come take control, and those on the inside want to submit to the control. And that's the lesson we learn, is when it comes to taking control, let me just simply say this. Anyone can be an insider and do the will of God. Are you with me? Doesn't matter where you are in life. Doesn't matter what it is you've done. We'll learn that about the sins that can be forgiven. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter your family line. It doesn't matter your blood connections, the genealogical list. Anyone whom God draws to himself can be an insider in the inner circle of Jesus Christ and do the will of God. But no one can be an insider and not do the will of God. Because my mother, brothers, and sisters are only those that what? Do the will of God. Oh, if it pierces your heart like it does mine, I pray for my own children that they become his. I want them to do his will more than mine.
because his children are under his control and do his will. They seek to gain control. It's not only those who want to take control, but the other problem that we have is we have those who think he's out of control. We have those who are wrestling with what is going on and that Jesus is out of control. Not only did his family say he's lost his mind, but look what happens. The story goes right into the next phrase when it says the scribes come down, verse 22. They come down to Jerusalem and say, man, this guy's full of Beelzebul. That's not Beelzebub, that's Beelzebul. It's an actual translation. It's a word that is different. They believe it comes from the Hebrew makeup. Catch this for those of you who love the languages. Do you remember who the Old Testament idol god was that they built statues to all the time? It was the male god. The female gods were called the Asherahs. The male gods were called the what? Baals. And the word that we get in the Hebrew for the Zebubs, if you wish, is the word for prince, house of, or control of. And so when you put it together, you have the one where they're coming down saying, now this guy is full of the one who is the prince of Baals, the prince of Old Testament gods. He is the one that is the prince of demons. This guy who is doing these works and saying these things are full of the kingdom of the prince of Satan. They're attributing the miracles of God to who? Satan. Talk about being out of your mind. Listen to how the story unfolds. He's possessed by this Beelzebub, and you have to begin to realize, listen to what they're saying. They're there watching the miracles, watching the withered hand, watching the exorcisms, watching people being changed in their lives and healed, and yet they have the ability to stand up and simply say, this is of Satan. And all of a sudden we realize faith is never attached to the results of proof because we could just about prove what Jesus is doing is right, and yet people don't believe. You could read the scriptures to people and tell them the stories, and they still don't believe. It's almost as if you were sitting here today and said, you know, if Jesus would just show me this, I would believe. And then he shows it to you, and what happens? You still don't believe. Lord, if you just help me pass this test, I'll never cheat again. I'll be a faithful follower of yours the rest of my life. Or at least until the next test comes along. The tests don't matter. All of a sudden, we have scribes, religious leaders, those who are supposed to know the truth, know the laws, they establish the regulations. They're now saying this man is full of the devil. Satan himself, the prince of all the demons... And all of a sudden we realize that faith is not a consequence of God's works just naturally. Remember I shared with you once before, there's a problem with what we call lifestyle evangelism. It's a great term. We live our lives to demonstrate Christ and to live for Christ. The problem with that is we just assume that if we live for Christ, people will automatically get what? Saved. Oh, it is true that they might recognize something different about you, and they may want what it is that you have, but there's no chance of belief, and there's no chance of faith, and no decision to be made until you open your mouth and speak as you ought to, and testify to what it is and who it is. Guys, faith is just not the consequence of seeing something good. We've got to move beyond the actions of thinking that just because we do social work and just because we feed the hungry and help those with clothing and educate those that are underprivileged and provide for those without houses, that just because we do those things to them, they'll automatically be what? Saved. Many of those people might think you're just working full of a demon and for good reasons. Because many times we are doing it for our own selfish reasons. I've got so many service hours I have to complete. I've got so many honor student credits I have to have. Our evangelism team is trying to make a difference. I want people to know, and folks, before long you realize you're not really doing it to share your faith. You're simply doing it for yourself. 
And that doesn't bring people to Jesus Christ. There must be a decision. Evidence demands a verdict. That's what Josh McDowell said, wasn't it? Scripture says it this way, evidence demands a decision. You must see what it is that Christ is doing. You must see what it is that people are doing as his children. You must see the evidence that exists. And when you see it all, you still have to put it together and make a decision. Are you still in control or are you out of control? You're the one that's still running it. You haven't, there are those of you, you haven't acknowledged who it really is. And the whole point is that Jesus is saying, look, there are those of us who are so close to Jesus, yet we're the ones trying to take the control from him. And then we're surrounded around those who are simply out of control, calling us fanatics, looking at Jesus and saying, this is really the work of the devil, as if the devil has more power and strength than the Father. It pushes you to the brink of not being saved at all. And that's why he says, truly, truly, I say to you, sins will be forgiven to any of the blasphemies that are made. Anyone that's out of control, anyone who's made these dire statements, anyone whose life is still in shambles, anyone who's committed. Folks, if you interpret these blasphemies to be sin, you're wrong. David was forgiven. He committed murder. He committed adultery. Judas lied, betrayed him, sold him out for money. Peter lied three times. Folks, we're not talking about the general blasphemies of the Old Testament sins. Any of these sins, folks, you can be forgiven for. The sin that lasts forever is when you're so hard-hearted that you don't even recognize what God has done and you're attributing it to the devil. You're so hard-hearted that there's no repentance. That's why it's unforgivable. Because you don't even recognize your need for forgiveness and repentance. Because you're watching it and seeing it as the work of Satan. And so you ask me, well, how do you know if you're committing the sin? How do I know if I've done it? I don't want to commit that sin. Well, folks, if you're thinking about that and you're worried about that, you haven't committed that. Because the whole point is you're not that hard-hearted. You're still thinking about forgiveness. You're still thinking about repentance. You're thinking about, Lord, what is it that I have done? What is it that I need to change? What is it that I need to still let you have control of? Where is it that I'm out of control? Where is it that I need to just surrender it all? Folks, those are signs that you're willing to repent, which means it's not unforgivable. But, oh, be careful how close you walk the line. For hardness of heart could be oh so close when you can't even recognize the work of Jesus. When you don't even recognize who's in control. And that's why we get the parable. From the family to the religious leaders, from taking control to being out of control to now being told who's really in control. And so he gives us the parable. Very short and sweet. You must first bind the strong man. Who's going to bind the strong man? A brief parable that recalls the whole mission of our great high priest. Who's here to bind Satan? Who's here to bind him in his kingdom and to set the captives free? We could go back to the Psalms and to Isaiah and to the minor prophets. Folks, it's not a one-time event. Jesus didn't just show up and say, okay, boom, it's bound. Satan's bound. You're free. Live as you want. No, but that's when it began. Jesus entered this world. It began at his, if you wish, incarnation. It began at his birth when he came into this world and it's been shown through all of his defeating of Satan in the wilderness, which we've learned about. It's been shown at the cross of Jesus Christ. It's been shown at his ascension, his resurrection from the grave, his coronation at the right hand of the Father. Folks, Satan has been bound and he's setting captives free. Every time the Holy Spirit touches a heart, he's setting the captives free. 
Are you one of them? Or are you still living bound by the strong man? Living in fear. Afraid you're going to be deemed a fanatic. A religious one. Oh, they're just a Jesus freak. Oh, that's just the spiritual things. And then all of a sudden we get scriptures that show us just what it is Jesus has done. Let me share this before I close. In Colossians chapter 2, we get a reminder. And what a way it is to find encouragement. When in Colossians chapter 2, verse 5, let me just read it to you, says this. Verse 4 says, I say to you this, no one will deceive you with persuasive arguments for even though I am absent in body, I am nevertheless with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your orderly manner and the stability of your faith in Jesus Christ. Looking for faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 15 simply says this, or it starts a little bit earlier. He made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our wrongdoings having canceled the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. And when he had disarmed the rulers and the authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. Oh, the strong man has been bound by the strong son of man. And he no longer has the power over you. And we've been told, greater is he that is in you than what? He that is in the world. It's all about control. And this morning you have to ask yourself, am I still trying to take control? Is my life going out of control? Or do I realize who's really in control? Let me give it to you as we prepare for the Lord's Supper because in Revelation, it simply tells us some very important verses uh, in chapter 12, Revelation 12. He says this, the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down, and one who accuses them before our God day and night. And they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb, because of the word of their testimony, and they did not love their life even when faced with death. For this reason, rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. And woe to those in the sea where the devil has come, for great wrath comes in a short time. Let me ask you as we prepare for the Lord's Supper, are you still taking control? Or maybe you're at the point you realize, man, my life is out of control. And maybe for the first time you realize, I need to recognize who's really in control. This is really about the Son of Man who God gave so that he could come to us, forgive us, cleanse us, free us. But oh, remember, it's very important that Jesus must do something for us before he can ever do something to us. As we pray for the Lord's Supper, remember Jesus must restore or you, he must liberate us from the old before he can restore us to the new. A kingdom that is divided. Jesus did not come to compromise and coexist. Jesus came to enter and to conquer. Who's coexisting in your life? Just how much does God have? How much do you have? And how much does Satan still have? Recognize who's in control. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your words. That in Mark's short parable, we realize 
that there's a reason we should be deemed fanatics, that we should be unashamed, for you remind us that if we'll confess you before men, you'll confess us before your Father in heaven. But if we deny you before men, you will deny us before the Father in heaven. The only children you have are the children that do the will of your Father. Lord, I pray, increase our faith and help us do the will of our Father. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. As we prepare for the Lord's Supper, I'm going to ask if those who are assisting with the Lord's Supper would please come forward this morning. And as we do so, we're going to take your bulletin, open it up. We're going to sing a song familiar to most of you. Let me just simply say before we start... Uh, that again, if you're here this morning, you've made a profession of faith, you're a Christian, you're part of a church, you support the scriptures, the truth, the discipline that comes in the family of Christ, belong to the body of Christ, been baptized, we could put it all out there that the simple message is this, do you confess Jesus before the Father in heaven? And if you do, we invite you to take the Lord's Supper. But if you've never made that profession of faith, I would ask that you let it pass. Let it pass so that as the scripture tells you, and I'll read to you, you do not eat and drink judgment upon yourself. For keep in mind, the Lord's Supper does not have the magical potion that if you take it, you will be saved. But if you are saved, it has this element of increasing our faith and being drawn closer to Jesus Christ. So you must belong to Jesus for its benefit. As we begin to pass out the bread, we're going to sing together the song that is printed, the first two stanzas in the bulletin. It does say that this is Rock of Ages, and it's in the hymn book, but there are a few differences in the words, and so we encourage you just to read it right out of the bulletin. But as they're passing it out, let's go ahead and sing together. Go ahead. As they finish passing it out, let me take a moment to remind you when they are gathered together around the Lord's table, it is there that Jesus even takes and says that there is one of you here that is going to betray me. The reminder that those closest to Jesus are not always with Jesus. Let us never take for granted that just because our children grew up in our homes, just because the deacons served faithfully, just because the elders are in roles of leadership, and just because our parents were so active in church, that just because they seemed close to Jesus means they were automatically saved. Don't take it for granted. We're simply told in the scriptures that what I received from the Lord, that which I delivered to you, the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He goes on to say, and in the same way, he also took the cup after the supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And here's why. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, 
you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You're admitting just who has control of your life. Let's pray before we take. Those closest to him, he said, this is my body broken for you. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your son, his body that was broken for us, that he would come to that cross, that he would take our place in exchange with us, all of our sins on him and his obedience to us. It's in his name we pray. Amen. In the same way, we were told that as he took the bread, he also took the cup. And so I'm going to encourage you here this morning that as we pass the cup, please take one and hold it. You can continue to sing that's there in your bulletin. Go ahead. You can start passing it out. And if you would please take one and hold it until we can all take together at the end. And while they're passing that out, we'll continue to sing the last two stanzas of our song. to you from Hebrews when it says now when these things have been so prepared the priests were continually entering the outer tabernacle performing divine worship but only the priests could go into the second one one and he would offer for himself the sins of the people that were committed in ignorance and the Holy Spirit is signifying this that the way into the holy place has not yet been disclosed while the outer tabernacle is still standing which is a symbol for the present time. Accordingly, both gifts and sacrifices are offered which cannot make the worshiper perfect in conscience, since they relate only to the food, drink, and various washings and regulations for the body imposed until a time of reformation would come. But when Christ appeared as the high priest of the good things having come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood. He entered the holy place once for all time, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling those who have been defiled sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. How much more will the blood of Christ help you? Help you as children do his will. My prayer is that as your faith is strengthened and increased, you will realize you are able to do his will. He said after the bread, this is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you. And as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Heavenly Father, it is only through your blood that we have the forgiveness of sins, the cleansing and to be made righteous, clothed in your righteousness. Father, forgive us of our sins. Forgive us 
for taking so much control. Forgive us of the times in which we are out of control. And lead us to the place where we recognize that you are in control. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. At this time, we will take up our offering as well since we're here. You'll receive the benediction from Ephesians. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. And all God's children said, amen. amen. Have a great Lord's Day.